tonight I'm joined by Andrew Lawton, the host of The Andrew Lawton Show, and a contributor to True North Media. All right, everyone, welcome back to episode 82 of Conservative Roundup. Today I'm very honored to be joined by Andrew Lawton. He's the host of The Andrew Lawton Show, and he's a True North Media, or one of the founders of the True North Media. Well, thank you so much sir, for being here, Andrew. I really appreciate you taking the time, and I look forward to this interview. Hey, thanks for having me, Aiden. I'm looking forward to it. I know you've been doing some great work, so I'm uh, happy to be here. Great, thanks. Well, why don't you, uh, first question for your, for you, why don't you tell us a little, a little bit about yourself first? Yeah, I mean, that's a, a difficult question in a lot of ways, <laughs> because I, I tend to wear a lot of different hats and, and have over the years. I, mm-hmm. I got my start actually just blogging. I, I had some opinions and had some free time and, and figured I wanted to uh, really get some of those opinions out there. And this was mm-hmm. back... Uh, about you know, 12, 13 years ago when blogging was really on the upswing and there was a, mm-hmm. an increasing appetite for it, but not a lot of people doing it. Now everyone blogs. Well, actually, no one blogs, but <laughs> everyone does the, yeah. the modern equivalent in, in social media. And, you know, I built up a little bit of an audience in Canadian conservative circles and then figured as podcasts were becoming a thing, I would start doing a, a podcast, which, again, mm-hmm. did really well because at the time people were more and more interested in them, but there weren't a lot of people doing them. And then you fast forward a couple of years, I, I started doing a, a talk radio show on, on AM radio, which I, I did in London, Ontario for about five years and, and had a lot of fun doing it. And now it all tends to come uh, full circle because now I, I'm working with True North and, and doing some great work online, doing a mm-hmm. podcast, doing real-time online uh, journalism and, and having a lot of fun doing it. And yeah. there was a blip in there where I ran for <laughs> office, but it didn't go well, so I don't talk about that. <laughs> Definitely. So so you're kind of, so obviously you switched over from, from, I guess, Global News over to the Independent Press Gallery of Kendall. Do you kind of get a little bit more free leeway on, on some stuff? Oh, hugely. I, I mean, I, I had a lot of fun doing uh, the Andrew Lawton show when I did it uh, over at Global, and I, I wrote a weekly column there, and, and I did it. But the nature is when you're working within a mainstream media organization, there are a lot of layers <laughs> of oversight. You know, uh-huh. it's not just an editor, but you've got, you know, an editor and then a managing editor and then a regional vice president and a vice president. And, yeah. and there were certain topics where it did feel like they were there were way too many cooks in the kitchen, mm. whereas True North is a very small team. It, it was founded by my friend and colleague Candace Malcolm Mm -hmm. and I joined relatively early on in the process and what we see is a really small team that that obviously has oversight and and we're all in the loop on on what each other are working on but but Mm -hmm. it's an opportunity to really pursue the stories that I think are missing in the media landscape and I I think that's especially important definitely so what kind of made you want to start blogging back when, when you were young when you were younger I should say it's it's odd actually. I, I don't know, and and that's a really good question because I had always been somewhat opinionated. I mean, going back to my grade ten civics class in high school, which was when I mm-hmm. I started to pay a bit more attention to politics and and started to think, yeah, you know, I, I think I'm I'm a bit more right of center than than left of center, and certainly than a lot of my yeah. students and, and fellow students and and teachers were. And I, I knew some people that I had sort of crossed paths with in that blogging world that I really liked. I really liked what they were doing and I was mm-hmm. reading them. I said, oh, you know, this is funny and they're, they're writing about these things and talking about these things that you're not really getting elsewhere. And I, I think I just thought, yeah, you know, I, I could do this too. And I was not good. Mm-hmm. I, I should say that at first I was yeah. not good. You know, I didn't have any practice writing. I had never really written outside of, you know, a couple of school essays here and there. Yeah. And I was in university at the time and, and eventually I st- just sort of started improving mm-hmm. and, and, you know, never thought it would make a career out of it. But yeah. here I am uh, more 
more than a decade later. Definitely. Well, I think, well, definitely, I mean, kudos to you. I mean, you've built your career up so well, I mean, and you're part of True North, one of the best news organizations left in Canada, right? So what's kind of, what's, what's kind of the best part of, of being about True North, right? Is it kind of more leeway, you got to write about anything, the colleagues? What, what's kind of the best part of, of being part of True North? That's, that's another good question. Listen, I, I think that the independence is, is key. And I, I know I touched on that a little bit with just being able to cover the stories that matter. But yeah. it's not really beholden to any of the special interests that other groups are. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. just For example, working in radio, I had a, a wide degree of latitude. But you've got advertisers. You've got a company. You've got all of these other stakeholders. You've got a broadcast regulator. Mm-hmm. I never got in trouble with them, but you, know, you never know. <laughs> yeah. and, and all of that. Whereas when, when you're online for now, and I mean, we can talk about this if you want, uh, for now, online publishers are pretty unregulated in Canada. So you, mm-hmm. you don't need to worry about the government breathing down your neck and being like, oh, I don't like, uh, you know, that meme or that Facebook post or, or anything yeah. like that. So there's a freedom there and, and a latitude. I, one of the things I really do love, though, is the speed. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned, when you wrote a column, and I've written, I do freelance writing for newspapers every now and then, you can get something in and, you know, it has to be edited and it'll come out the next day sometimes or the next week other times. And, yeah. and it's easy to be impatient, especially with things that are really time sensitive. One of the great things about True North is the speed at which we operate because we have to. We're in the online media space. Yeah. And just uh, this past week when the election was going on, there were just a lot of stories happening all over the country. We had a great team of writers that was trying to follow up with things. But mm-hmm. you publish it, you or you submit it, you edit it, you're published, and, and it's out there. And there's kind yeah. of a dopamine hit of when you see words that you've written uh, be shared widely by, by people in Canada. And, mm-hmm. and there's a real uh, benefit, I, I think. You, you don't want to compromise your accuracy and your fairness, but there's a benefit to being able to get something out in a more speedy way than traditional media allows. Definitely. Well, speaking of the election, well, we're officially in. The red has been dropped. We're I think we're day four in. So, Andrew, what is the current toss-up in in the election? I mean, we've seen a lot of a lot of press releases. We've seen a lot of uh, I guess interviews with with the concert with the different leaders. But, I mean, we've got Justin Trudeau, Liberals, Aaron Trudeau, Conservatives, Jagmeet Singh, the NDP, and Anami Paul, the Greens. As well as Maxine Bernays, pre-PCs. Who do you think will kind of have a little bit of more political uproar than than the others this time around? It's a tough one to say. I I think a lot of people, and I would probably have put myself in this camp leading up to the election, so through Mm -hmm. the spring and the early part of the summer, thought that this is just going to be a Trudeau majority. I think there were a lot of people that thought because we had uh, the post-pandemic situation, Canada reopening, people that want to be vaccinated getting vaccinated, the borders reopening, all of these things that really made it look like Justin Trudeau could kind of come and just claim victory and say, we did it, I beat it, I was the guy that brought you through this, if you want four more years of this (laughs) vote for me. And I thought that would have been a compelling message. It hasn't worked out that way. We have... Justin Trudeau's own medical advisors saying we're in the midst of a fourth wave. So there's going to be the possibility of a bit of a, a more dicey situation come the fall. And then you have the complete collapse of Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And this is not Canada's fault, but certainly it affects Canada. It affects Canadians and a Canadian response is needed. So Justin Trudeau, who is now on day five of this campaign, every single day 
Instead of getting questions about his platform, questions about his policies, he's getting questions about what he's going to do in Afghanistan, why he's not doing X, why he's doing Y. And all of these things really, that what they call it in, in political insider language is taking mm -hmm. him off message. It's getting him to talk about the things that are different than the things he wants to be talking about. Mm -hmm. Whereas Aaron O'Toole is generally very strong on defense and military stuff. So when he gets these questions, he compel he gives a pretty compelling answer. Yeah. So th this is not, I know I'm kind of getting around answering your question no, of what's going good. to happen, but I, I think it's made it a lot more of an even battle mm -hmm. than a lot of people predicted even just a few weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, when we look at like, even like the prior weeks, even before the rivers dropped and we kind of, and it did, and it did look like a super majority for Justin Trudeau, but now we're kind of, we're, as you said, we're on day five now, and we're seeing a lot of riding toss-ups, such as Bay of Quinty, King Vaughn, Richmond Hill, where, well, BC is going to be a smoke show. I want to see, I'll, I think we'll definitely see a, uh, a little bit more, a couple more liberal seats in the, in the, in the BC area of Vancouver. I mean, I mean, let me kind of look out east, right? I mean, we, Bose is, is looking like a toss-up between PPC and Conservatives. As well as the, I mean, as even as the uh, the Nova Scotia general election uh, just the other day, I think that's going to worry a lot of a lot of the uh, the Trudeau Liberals over over there, right? Yeah, and, and Nova Scotia is an interesting case because this is a, a PC party that didn't run a really conservative platform. They they weren't running a really hardcore. Uh, very, you know, right-wing platform, but yeah. it's still a PC party. They still have blue <laughs> colors, and yeah. there's a lot of overlap in the Nova Scotia PCs and the federal conservatives in Atlantic Canada. Mm -hmm. So you have to, to question whether the appetite was for a conservative government or whether it was just frustration with the incumbents in Nova Scotia. And if yeah. it is that, do they have the same frustration with the federal government? It's mm -hmm. tough to say. But I, I do think that there is an interesting dynamic there. What were mm -hmm. Nova Scotians voting for? Were they voting for a conservative government or were they just voting to, to get rid of the government they had? And that, I think, will be the key question mm -hmm. in whether the conservatives can make some gains there. Because mm -hmm. historically, the conservatives have performed in Afghanistan. Uh, I don't know where Afghanistan came from, <laughs> in Nova Scotia. No, it's not a wasteland. I, I take it back. But conservatives have done well mm -hmm. in Atlantic Canada. In some cases, like Stephen Harper, he managed, especially in 2011, to do particularly well. And even before, he had success in PEI and Nova Scotia, a uh, bit of, bit of new, in new Brunswick. And I think a lot of people on the right have thought that those days are over. Mm -hmm. But there's a path to a majority if the conservatives can start picking up a lot of those areas that Stephen Harper did well in back in the day, in mm -hmm. the greater Toronto area, in Atlantic Canada, in the lower mainland of B.C. And then there's Quebec, which Stephen Harper never did really well in. In, but Aaron O'Toole is trying to uh, make some gains in, and that'll mm -hmm. be another key question as we head to September 20th. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when we look at like a lot of people, they were look they looked at the polls. For example, I mean, look at the uh, that one independently that was reelected, that Elizabeth Smith McCrossan, I believe. I mean, she was projected to only get 8.1 percent of the vote. She literally got 4,000 votes. I mean, I mean, and she was reelected, and all these other people had less than a thousand, less than less than even 500 mm -hmm. votes. I mean, I mean, that really kind of shows you how kind of biased that the polls are, right? Yeah, and, and, and it's also, I think, a cautionary tale as to why you should not put so much stock in polls, especially polls early on, but, but even polls at the very end. I mean, that was a, a significant upset. Uh, one interesting situation, too, that I'm going to be following is Yukon. Mm. In Yukon, you had a conservative candidate, Jonas Smith, who was disqualified last week by the Conservative Party of Canada. And instead of just going home, he's running as an independent. 
-hmm. In Yukon, it's not a huge riding population-wise. Size-wise it is, but population-wise it's not. You could, as an independent, if you know your community, if you're well-known, if you run a good campaign, you could reach those voters just as easily as the Conservative Party of Canada or Liberal Party of Canada could. So I wouldn't be surprised to see an independent elected this time around federally. Yeah, no, yeah, like even like I saw that article this morning that you're just gonna run as an independent, and, that, and that's really funny actually. That that Errol Tool says that like candidates are free to make up their own minds on stuff. Well, he made up his own mind on whether vaccines should be mandatory, and he just somehow got tossed. I, I mean, I mean that's yeah. Yeah, it, it's an unfortunate case. I mean, the conservative platform even has conscience rights for healthcare practitioners. This guy was saying, I don't support vaccine mandates. I don't support employer-mandated vaccines. And the conservative said, uh, you know what? We don't think you have a place on the team. Now, with these, you always have to wonder, was there something else that, that was contributing to it? And, and we mm -hmm. don't know. But what we do know is that he almost won last time. He came less than 200 votes shy of taking the seat, which generally speaking means you've got a foundation to build on yeah. if you run again. And now he is running again. But uh, if he does win it, it won't be for the conservatives. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look at I mean, look at other candidates that have kind of run and kind of got a little thrown to the side. I mean, we look at Brad Chost, who's disqualified halfway through his campaign to run as the not to replace uh, Tom Lukiski. Uh, over in Glengarry or South Glengarry Prescott Russell, I believe. I mean, look at Pierre Lemieux, previous 2017 conservative leadership contendant. I mean, he kind of got thrown out because he, well, he ran twice and he lost twice, so somehow that qualifies him to lose again. So then they then they throw a CBC spokesperson in form. Like what? I, I mean, like I mean, like there's so many instances to name Andrew, and people. I mean, people kind of just look past and go, well, well, it must have been for a reason. They must have done something bad. Yeah, and in Glengarry Prescott-Russell, that's an interesting case. Just last night, I learned that there's been a, a significant wave of resignations from people on that conservative riding association wow. board that are very frustrated with how the party handled uh, getting rid of this guy that tended to have the support of the community and of the party locally for someone they had never heard of from Toronto. Mm -hmm. The challenge with these things is that most people in Canada are not a member of a political party. Most people are never going to vote in a leadership race or a nomination race, mm -hmm. so they don't know about these these machinations that take place behind closed doors in, in party apparatus. And the, the challenge with that is that when when people start talking about them, a lot of voters are like, what, what's going on? Like, what nomination and meeting mm. and, you know, you've lost, like, what are these rules? Uh, and, yeah. and I think there are conservatives as well that are resistant to airing their dirty laundry publicly. So mm. uh, in a lot of cases like this, people tend to shut up when there's an election because <laughs> conservatives say, well, listen, we need to just defeat Trudeau. That's our priority now. So we have to get behind whoever's the candidate and deal with our frustrations later. But... The challenge there is that if there are enough of these frustrations, whether you want to talk about Jonah Smith or Derek Sloan or uh, Pierre Lemieux or others that have happened, it will tend to take away the enthusiasm that a lot of conservative members have for their party. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, look at, I mean, they're, I mean, look at the, uh, look at Alberta, for example. I mean, they're going in with four right-wing parties. I mean, they got the Conservatives, the PPC, the Maverick, and the True North, right? I mean, I mean, I mean. And we, we kind of really look at that. I mean, I mean that's kind of on a reflection of how the leadership and the, and the conservatives have kind of really gone towards, right? I mean, I mean we look. I mean, look at the uh, the blue carbon tax. I mean, do you want a red carbon tax or a blue carbon tax, Andrew? 
uh, yeah, and, and it's tough because, you know, I, I'm old enough to remember when the Conservative Party was split into two, the PCs and the Alliance, and I remember how significant it was when those parties came together. And, and Stephen Harper did something quite exceptional there, not only brought these parties together, but within a couple of years had won a minority government, then won another minority, and then brought that up to a majority. So had 10 years of it before that party starts fracturing again. And it is, it is disappointing because you see people like Maxime Bernier that has a, a reason to be frustrated with the party and people like Derek Sloan who has a reason to be frustrated with the party. Mm -hmm. But all of these people are not joining one group that's kind of an alternative party. They're each starting their own. And, and the challenge with that is that you're never going to build a, a reform-style movement, which was yeah. the, the splinter off from the PCs, if everyone's just doing their own thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean... I mean, kind of see, I mean, and then we like we kind of really see that at West. I mean, look at after the 2019 election. I mean, Wexit was a really, it was a really starting to really trend out there, mm -hmm. and like you could even bring up the word like just put it on a piece of paper, and people would probably go, "Hey, maybe I'd vote for it." But instead, they, the Maverick, the, the, I guess the Wexit kind of went over to the Maverick. Nobody knows who the Maverick are. If you went with Wexit, they'd actually know who you are. Yeah, Wexit has a clear name because the name is the goal. The name is what they actually want to do. And there's also at the provincial level in Alberta, the, the Wild Rose Independence Party, which has a bit more name recognition because it's made up of a lot of people that were in the former Wild Rose Party in Alberta. And they're trying to advocate for Alberta independence and Alberta sovereignty at a provincial mm -hmm. level, which is kind of the, the Parti Québécois model in Quebec. And, and interestingly enough, Maxime Bernier, I, I covered last week his campaign launch in Ottawa, mm. and he had said that the Bloc Québécois, which is the federal Quebec party, has not really done all that much for Quebec. He said all of the gains have taken place at the provincial level, and he was suggesting that that's going to be true with Alberta as well, that, you know, don't vote Maverick because it's a federal party. They can't do anything for the province. You have to vote for a provincial party that's going to be an advocate for the province. And I thought it was an interesting argument. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when we kind of look like like at the overall PPC platform, I mean, that's what the Conservative Party used to be under Stephen Harper, even back in the 19th or I guess before uh, oh, Mulroney's time as well. Right. I mean, that's what I mean, that's what the Conservatives used to be. I mean, we look at kind of where we've gone over the past couple of years. I mean, we've gone from Stephen Harper to Ron Ambrose, Andrew Scheer, Aaron O'Toole now and all different platforms, all different policies. And kind of we kind of go more from. We kind of went from Stephen Harper's so social, then we went to Ron Ambrose, social moderate, then Andrew Shearer, a little bit more social moderate, and then we kind of go to Aaron until we jump straight to moderate. And then we have carbon taxes, we have more immigration, we want more foreign spending, more green cars. I, I mean, like a lot of, and that took a lot of people off side, right? Because I mean, even there, you were, you were there, presence during, during the leadership race, you guys did a, that whole um, independent press gallery uh, debates. And and then just even prior to that, Aaron O'Toole just signed the uh, the no carbon tax pledge. Well, we saw how that turned out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and interestingly enough, I, I will say about the PPC platform, the platform that the People's Party of Canada runs on is the platform that Maxime Bernier ran his leadership campaign on in 2017. And he got the votes of nearly half of the members. Remember, that was like a very, very slim margin yeah. by which Andrew Scheer won over Maxime Bernier. So so the, the platform, for the most part, and they've added to it, especially on immigration and, and stuff like that, but the PBC platform is a platform that almost won 
Maxime, the conservative leadership in 2017. So mm -hmm. I, I would say there's a, a lot of truth to your point there, Aiden, that th this is a platform that is relatively palatable, uh, palatable to mainstream conservatives, but mm -hmm. the party itself has, has tended to occupy a space that is not seen in that way. Mm. Definitely. So, speaking with like a lot of previous members of parliament, even current ones as well, is that when you when we kind of look at overall leaderships, I mean, look at Stephen Harper. I mean, he won three consecutive consecutive governments in a row. I mean, he didn't give up on his, on his principles and values. He well, he endured, right? I mean, he persevered through it. He put them out. He wasn't afraid to get called out by the mainstream media. And now we we kind of flip flop on that with the complete opposite now, where we kind of go over, we kind of pander CBC. Oh yeah, 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 come over. Yeah, we want you. Yeah, let's do an interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and also as well, we kind of give up on our on our actual conservative values, where it's well, oh, we we uh, quote unquote we need change, right? Yeah, and I think that this is one of the big failings of conservative politicians in general. Is that instead of trying to sell conservatism and, and move the move the ball further, to use a football analogy, into the end zone, we tend to try to retreat and, and say, "Well, it's just a you know we, we just have to change what it is that we're selling." Mm -hmm. And the reality is that you know there are enough parties on the left that are trying to go after left wing votes. You've got the Liberal, the NDP, the Bloc, the Green. There's no point in putting forward a vision that's competing in that already crowded space in politics. Mm -hmm. We need someone that's going to be, I think, a lot firmer in saying, no, we're the party that's not for a carbon tax. We're the party that's for freedom of speech. We're the party mm -hmm. that's against higher taxes. We're the party that's against more spending. Because, again, you're, you're competing with four people, four leaders, mm -hmm. four parties that are saying the opposite of that if yeah. you say the opposite of that. Definitely. I mean, I mean, we've we've seen all the platforms. I mean, I think most of the platforms have been released at the current moment as well. Who? Do, what do you think? Whose platform will kind of resonate most with Canadians? Well, it's it's actually tough to say because uh, the conservative platform they launched it on Monday, and I was in Ottawa when they did. And it's 163 pages. And I know everyone's been talking about the cover, Aaron O'Toole in the T-shirt, uh, <laughs> looking like it's the cover of Men's Health magazine. But the average Canadian that you talk to is not going to read a 163-page yeah. platform. They're not going to pick up a platform at all. They're going to learn about it, if they learn about it at all, from a candidate knocking on their door or from mm -hmm. a media report that's plucking out a couple of sentences from it and crafting a story around it. So mm -hmm. the, the idea is you want to have something in there that's going to uh, get your base motivated, something in there that's going to get the policy wonks happy, and something in there that's going to get the media interested to write about it that you think will translate to average voters. I, I know that this week Aaron O'Toole put out a, a platform item on making housing more affordable. That's a policy that will resonate with a lot of young families, especially those in cities, especially in Toronto, in Vancouver. So mm -hmm. stuff like that could help. Mm -hmm. Justin Trudeau, he's kind of making his flagship policy $10 a day childcare. Mm -hmm. Again, a lot of parents, especially working mothers, are going to absolutely love that. The conservatives have tried to say that it's not as advertised. So then it becomes a battle on, on whether you can sell your policy better than better than your opponent mm -hmm. can kind of shred it to pieces. Definitely. And also another good policy put out by, by O'Toole is, is eliminating the GST during the month of December for the Christmas holidays, which I think is that, I think it would be pretty good. I think the, the typical libertarian would agree with that. But also as well, I mean, we look at what yesterday's press conference with Justin Trudeau in Vancouver, and it's and they asked him a question about inflation, he's like, and he's like, uh, I don't focus on monetary policy. Well, it obviously shows. 
Yeah, that. I mean, it took like four days for us to get the gaff of the campaign, or at least the gaff so far, which is Trudeau saying he, he doesn't think of oh. a monetary policy. And interestingly enough, the rest of that clip kind of got worse because he said, I don't think about monetary policy. I think about families like that. That's like, well, why can't you think about both? Why, yeah. why can't you realize that families are affected by monetary policy and fiscal policy? And that was where, again, it, it, gave, it gives the conservatives lots of ammunition to uh, go after Trudeau as just not thinking about the policies, much like when, <laughs> I don't know if you remember, it was in uh, two, well, it would have been 2008 when Stefan Dion had given that famous line, do you think it's easy to make priorities? <laughs> Stuff like that does resonate with people uh -huh. and not in a good way. No, definitely. I mean, I mean, look at like the landscape over the last decade, Andrew. Obviously, you'd know a lot more than me because I'd be young. But I mean, we've kind of gone through. I mean, we look at look at the NDP for example. And they've gone through someone as good as Jack Leach. I mean, I'll give it to Jack Leach, and he he did good. He was a good leader. Did good for the party. He's the official opposition. They went to Tom Mouclair, and now Jagmeet Singh. I mean, the party's being run right into the ground. I mean, they have no money. They need to put interest rates on everything. I mean, the I mean, the, as I said, we've gone over the Conservative Party over the last decade. The Liberals. Well, they've got, I mean, they've gone from third party all the way up to majority, then down to minority. I mean, they've even had such figures as blackface in their party as well. I mean, I mean, just the incompetence that we've seen over the past six years, Andrew. I mean, I mean, numerous ethic breaches. I mean, look how many people have actually resigned. Look how many people don't want to even run again. I mean, ha I mean, probably half of them just want their pension, then 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 they're gone. Yeah, people have short memories, unfortunately. Like the the 2019 election was a very eventful one. You had mm -hmm. we had had earlier on SNC Lavalin, we had had uh, Jody Wilson Raybould and Jane Philpot. We had blackface in the campaign, and all of that Justin Trudeau managed to survive. Mm -hmm. We now fast forward not even two years fully, but almost two yep. years, and that's all old news now. So, you know, there's no yeah. win in the Conservatives bringing up Jody Wilson-Raybould and SNC-Lavalin and Blackface. It's just voters have decided they didn't care about those things. Yeah. We have the Wee scandal this time around. But even then, that was last, uh, that was, you know, last year. That's basically mm -hmm. something that is dissipated now and yeah. I think will continue to. So it, it's very challenging because the Conservatives have to find how do we make Canadians who have voted for this guy twice – not want to vote for him a third time mm -hmm. when they've already overlooked a lot in the last two yeah. elections. I mean, I mean, it's like a trend, Andrew, right? I mean, people are only so invested in it for a short amount of time and then, and then it just gets outdated and people just, they don't care anymore. Yeah, I mean, that, this was what happened with Stephen Harper, too, is that, you know, 2011, he wins this huge majority, has four years to do whatever he wants, and then people turn on him. Yeah. Voters do get tired of the leaders that are in there. The question is whether they're tired of Justin Trudeau just yet. Definitely. I mean... I mean, look, I mean, what we've gone through the past six years is, is unbearable. I don't think a lot of, I mean, look at and Canadians, for example, they're barely making it by on top of their actual provincial governments as well. And, and then if we probably, it's a, just a hypothesis, but if we do add another four years, I mean, we would literally just be a socialist country. No matter what, I mean, we probably would have media. I mean, look at Bill C-36. I think they're, they're going to reintroduce that after the session is, or I guess a, a replica, I should say, because it's being killed off the order paper, I believe. C-10's dead, but they'll probably be reintroduced. I mean, when we kind of look at, my, at the majority governments we've had during the last, I guess, four, prior to the two years, four years during the majority season, we couldn't get any accountability at all. We couldn't get papers out of the House of Commons. We couldn't get stuff through committee we couldn't get oversight we couldn't even get i mean i mean look at i mean when we've gone through minority now 
we've got a lot more oversight. We've got a lot more insight. We've got a lot more papers. We've got a lot more facts and truth coming out. Right? I mean, the conservatives are the party of truth and facts. So I, I think that let's just talk about C-36 for a moment since you brought it up. This is the bill that would allow the government to prosecute uh, online content for so-called hate speech, but a very murky definition that would undoubtedly butt up against the free speech rights we're supposed to enjoy. Mm -hmm. The Liberals introduced that bill days before Parliament rose for the summer, knowing they were going to be calling an election this summer. So they knew that the bill would never make it through. They wanted to introduce it so they could campaign on it, which means the Liberals think campaigning on online censorship is a winnable proposition for them. And when those are the battle lines they've drawn, I think Canadians who care about free speech need to pay attention. Now, the mm -hmm. Conservatives... I didn't think did a great job at criticizing Bill C-36 when it came out. They were relatively quiet on it. Yeah. But I will say the conservative platform has been clear that it will not uh, support that. It, it will mm -hmm. not support any such legislation. It will mm -hmm. also oppose C-10, which was the other internet regulation bill. So I, I, again, I don't know how many Canadians matter. Think how many Canadians think about these things mm -hmm. or care about these things. But the Liberals clearly think it was a winnable issue, which is why they introduced it when they did. Definitely. Well, I think we'll, this time around, if we'll, we'll see how this plays out, but I think definitely if C-36 does get reintroduced somehow, some shape or form, I think uh, Rachel Harder will be all over that as, as well. I mean, look I mean, look at the job that she did through CT. I mean, she did an amazing job holding Stephen Gilboach to, for, to account. I mean, he even went after her for being pro-life because she pushed him too hard. Yeah, and, and there were a few. I mean, C-10 was very interesting because for the longest time, no one was paying any attention to it. No one was. Mm -hmm. The liberals just thought it was this, you know, benign, or the, they pretended it was this benign internet regulation bill. didn't really matter. And, and then it was only when people in independent media and a couple of academics uh, started talking about it that the conservatives realized, hey, I think we have a, a big issue here that we can take up. And it was because of that opposition, not just from the Conservative Party, but from independent media and by extension from Canadians, that mm -hmm. the Liberals weren't able to just ram that through. And, and the yeah. Senate started to say, OK, hang on, we, we've got some questions about this. We're, mm -hmm. and, and the Liberals tried to say, no, you've got to get it through quickly. And they're like, no, we're going to take our time. And yeah. that ended up being the, the time it needed to kill the bill. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, kudos to them as well. I mean, at least we have some sensible people in, in the actual Senate. I mean, because we, when we kind of look at the Senate overall, I mean, not a lot of people even really know it exists. It's not, it's not popular to Canadians, but I mean, it's just no, as some important. people wish it didn't. <laughs> uh, even like a lot of people wish it was like the states, right? I mean, every every or province, state, or, or I guess uh, territory, they'd have two two people go and represent them. I mean, look what Alberta does. They literally hold elections for their senators. Yeah, and the challenge there is that the federal government is not uh, legally bound to honor those elections. So this has been a big issue between Alberta and Canada, where Alberta says we, we decide as a province that we want to take a democratic approach. And Justin Trudeau just appointed uh, an Alberta senator uh, without regard to the upcoming Senate election in Alberta. So that is a, a big challenge. Uh, look, and I, I'm one of these people that thinks an elected Senate would be a lot better. Mm -hmm. We don't have an elected Senate now. What I don't like with the Senate is that Trudeau has been able to stack it. He claims they're all independent. For, for the most part, they all end up voting in support of liberal legislation. So it was nice to see a few actually speak up and, and take an independent voice on mm -hmm. a couple of key issues. Definitely. Well, well, they are definitely the independent liberals. We know that. I mean, I mean, literally, I mean, like, 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 honestly, I mean, I mean, they literally do. I mean, they're literally all liberals. Literally, almost every single independent appointed senator that's left from Sarper years is practically gone. 
ushered out or probably died from uh, from whatever and then the the new kind of independent senators are all liberal yeah and, and every time a new one's appointed i always go to the elections canada website where they track donations and type in their names and it's amazing how often all of these independent senators have donated thousands of dollars to the liberals over oh years. Yeah. yeah like like even like the remember back in it was in june where the uh, the justice minister accidentally tweeted about appointing all these all these other judges that were that were liberal donors yeah, yeah, I remember that. Oh, and, and that's kind of like that's what we'll get from the Justin Trudeau liberals as well, right? But I guess we should get on to our next segment. So our segment, so there'd be Afghanistan, where we are now. Andrew, can you kind of give us a little bit of uh, oversight on that? Yeah, and I mean, this is a situation that's rapidly evolving, so, you know, it's dangerous to, to just see what's happening there, and, and, and very concerning that uh, countries that were there for 20 years, including Canada, the United States, and other members of the coalition have seen the work that they thought they did, and, and did do, I, I don't want to be unkind to the mm. veterans who served there, just completely unraveled in the span of, of three weeks. It's been quite shameful, and the fact that all of these local Afghans that helped Canadians and helped the Canadian Armed Forces, translators, local guides, all of these people have been and have felt significantly left behind by Canada is absolutely shameful. I mean, I think we'll all, all remember for years to come the images of people falling from these planes mm -hmm. so desperate to get out that they do the only thing they think they can do, which is like hold on to the wheel of a U.S. fighter jet. I mean, that you know it's not going to work. You know you're going to fall off, but but they're so desperate and feel they have no options. That's what they do. And mm -hmm. I, I fear that we're going to see more of that, and, and it, it really undermines mm -hmm. the the integrity of what happened over the last two decades because mm -hmm. of just how terrible this withdrawal has looked. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look there. I mean, there's thousands of people just running after the plane on the tarmac as well. I mean, the plane couldn't even take up, barely take off because there was people literally just everywhere. Oh, yeah, and there's... Yeah, and, and some of the planes, sorry to interrupt there, some of the planes uh, have actually been leaving not even full. So it's not even like the work is being done to bring people. And, and Trudeau, every day, he's being asked about this by media, and he's saying, yeah, we're working on it, we're working on it, we're working on it. Well, just look at the images on the ground. It doesn't look like they've got that memo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, like, all these people, I mean, I mean, they've, li I mean, they've helped us. I mean, they're our allies, the, the Afghan people. I mean... When we when we kind of look at what's kind of been going on over the past, I guess, two decades, people, I mean, people just don't care. I mean, practically, nobody cares because it doesn't. It's like lockdowns. People don't care until it affects them, right? I mean, look, I mean, look how many people have have died in service to their country or died over there fighting the fighting the Taliban for nothing. I mean, I mean, literally, it's gone to to nothing. Obviously, they, I mean, as you said, they have a huge sacrifice for us. And it's just gone to complete, like, a, just a crapshoot. I mean, President Biden, I mean, he's like, oh, well, uh, well, we'll see. I mean, his press secretary's off social media for a week. He's on vacation hiding in his cottage at Camp David. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, and Justin Trudeau, he's off in Vancouver. He doesn't think that monetary policy is important. Yeah, and not, not only that, so you've got a prime minister who's distracted by an election right now. Also, the chief of the defense staff in Canada, the head of the Canadian Armed Forces, is in Hawaii for a conference right now. So, you know, you got to th think, when they're saying that, yes, the Canada is going to get involved, well, who mm -hmm. who's devoting their attention to this? Who's actually running this operation right mm -hmm. now? If the prime minister and the chief of the defense staff are both <laughs> distracted with other things... Who's actually in charge? And, and that is a question I've still not been able to get an answer to. Definitely. I mean, look at the UK, uh, Andrew. I mean, Boris Johnson, he literally recalled Parliament to deal with, with Afghanistan currently. 
Yeah, and I know, I know poor enemy Paul, the Green leader, she said Canada should do the same, not realizing that you can't recall Parliament when it's dissolved. But certainly I do think the sentiment of what she was pushing for is valid, yeah. that we need a government that is saying, yeah, all hands on deck, we're doing this. And I think mm -hmm. every party leader would agree to suspend their campaign mm -hmm. if Justin Trudeau said, we're going to take the next five days to figure this out. Yeah. But it hasn't happened. No, definitely. I mean, Annemie Pauls, I mean, she's, I mean, she's gotten, a, like, really quick to the point compared to other leaders, right? I mean, she spoke about Bill C-10 weeks earlier. She spoke about the boycotting the Olympics weeks earlier. She talked about the Uyghur genocide weeks earlier. I mean, like, I, like, I literally have no words for the leadership in Canada right now. I mean, look at the Mark Gardeau. He doesn't even know what's going on with the two Michaels. Oh, well, we'll see. I, I hope nothing happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll just wait and see. Oh, not, we can't do anything. Well, yeah, well, yeah you can. Well, yeah, Mark Garneau was the one who uh, earlier this week said in a CBC interview that it was too early to say whether Canada would recognize the <laughs> Taliban as the legitimate government of Afghanistan, which was absolutely uh, shameful. And then mm -hmm. Justin Trudeau had to clean it up the next day by saying, no, 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 of, of course we're not. They're a terrorist organization. Yeah. We're not going to. But but how could the foreign, there, foreign affairs minister not come up with that answer mm -hmm. on the spot? This is the same person who – the only person to abstain from the Liberal cabinet on the Uyghur genocide yes. votes. Yeah, uh, with the, the, the uh, Uyghur genocide vote said, I abstain on behalf of Canada, which was just a, a shameful moment in a country that proclaimed at the beginning of Justin Trudeau's term that Canada's back. Definitely. I mean, like, I mean, like, like, liber like literally, the only liberal cabinet minister show up, oh, I abstain on behalf of the government of Canada, the foreign affairs minister. Yeah, take a stand. Oh, God. <laughs> exactly. I mean... I mean, just, I mean, look how, where he's kind of positioned us over the past couple of years on, on foreign affairs. I mean, our, I mean, just look at that one, uh, the Mark Schellenberg, I believe was his name. He just got, he got another sentence in China. He got the death penalty, which I think is being carried out sometime soon. I believe I, I have to look. I mean, the two Michaels, I mean, they're being prosecuted. One has to spend 11 years in a, in a detainment cell. I mean, he's already been there for three years now. Yeah, and, and it's difficult. I mean, I actually think Mark Garneau is a serious person. I, he's very accomplished in his pre-politics life. He knows he's informed. He knows the issues. I, I think the problem is that he's been given bad direction or no direction from the prime minister. I think the failing here in Canada has been Justin Trudeau's foreign policy. For mm -hmm. years, Justin Trudeau expended pretty much all political capital and billions of dollars trying to secure a UN Security Council seat for Canada, mm -hmm. which ended up not materializing. So he's trying to project this image of, of Canada as being this significant player on the world stage, but mm -hmm. clearly other countries are not buying into that. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, look how, well, I mean, look what the money, what the money he put. He gave, he's, he was going to give money to third world countries to have a for women to have a abortions yeah and it, but again he, he's focusing so much on trying to impose all of these policy changes in other countries instead of focusing on the issues in canada that canadians care about yeah. it and you know i realize we're part of a global community what happens in the world matters but there's oftentimes this discussion that needs to take place that isn't as to what is canada mm -hmm. doing or what is Canada benefiting from this? What, where is the benefit to Canada? And a lot of the time that is not clear in some mm -hmm. of the foreign policy decisions we've seen in the last six years. Definitely. I mean, when, you, when we look at Canada and, and the, uh, in America, for example, I mean, two different systems, similar, similar democracies, capitalism, Western, Western civilization, Western politics. And when we look at two pieces, when we have the, the, uh, the Trudeau liberals and we have the Democrats, right? 
I mean, Democrats, they have the Jihad squad, so like Omar, AOC, all the rest of the crazy people. And then the Trudeau liberals, who are so incompetent, they don't even know what's going on, uh, 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 moist, uh, blah, 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 whatever. I mean, I mean like, a, like a lot of people, they really think they go, well, hey, what, what are they going to do? I mean, I mean, they don't do anything personal. Like, from what I've seen, I mean, President Biden, he's hiding in his cottage, Saki's off social media doing whatever justin trudeau's out campaigning for super majority christian freeland's off probably 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 party partying with bill morneau or what's left of him yeah well you've summed it up there i, I mean you got to wonder again to go back to that discussion we had a few moments ago who, who's really in charge here and, and and look i mean i i'm a libertarian so i generally think when uh, politicians are not doing things it's better for everyone it, it's, mm -hmm. it works better for canadians when politicians are, are not actually imposing laws that are bad on people so in that sense there might be <laughs> yeah. a, a minor silver lining to it that we could celebrate but mm -hmm. the, the reality is is that you know we have to wonder are canada's interests being handled domestically and abroad yeah. and it, it seems like when we are seeing uh, people in afghan afghanistan that have uh, put their lives on the line for canada that are now under threat from the taliban and canada can't give a clear answer on what it's doing for them we've got a problem definitely all right so one of my last questions so i got some last questions for us um so we're, we're going into i guess over the i mean we're coming up to the first week of the campaign what are we going to see over the next couple of weeks are we going to see more policies are we going to see more platforms what are we going to see so the conservative platform is out the ndp platform is out i think what we're going to see from those parties is reintroducing and reannouncing things that are already announced it's like i talked about earlier where the average canadian's not going to read through 163 pages every mm -hmm. day the conservatives are going to take a paragraph or a page that they think is really important and they're going to announce it as though it's new so it'll be interesting to see what they think are the winnable issues for them and those may change as the campaign goes on if they see how uh, we're going up in the polls we people want more on housing or we're going down okay maybe they don't want maybe that's not resonating with them Mm -hmm. And the same will be with the Liberals. Now, the Liberal platform is not as significant because they had a budget earlier this year. So the budget pretty much tells us what their spending priorities are going to be for the coming years. Mm -hmm. But again, it'll still be relevant to see what they choose to focus on and what they think Canadians are, are resonating with. Mm -hmm. And what are they resonating with, Andrew? Well, I, I don't know yet. I mean, I know the issues that I care about. I don't, I don't think... And it's probably better for the country that this is the case, yeah. that I'm representative of the average Canadian. So, you know, I care a lot about free speech. I care yeah. a lot about some of these bigger picture battles about, yeah. you know, the place Canada has in the world and, mm -hmm. and about are we looking out for Canadians? Are we providing the freest society for Canadians? Mm -hmm. But that's oftentimes not the political question. Campaigns yeah. tend to devolve into who's giving the biggest handout to whom. I, I mean, when I ran for office in, in 2018 yeah. in Ontario's election, I knocked on doors where some Sometimes people were quite transparent about it. They said, just cut cut to it. What are you going to give me? Yeah. And and that's the attitude that a lot of voters have. So mm -hmm. I think it will become this thing of, of each leader trying to tell Canadians how much more money they're going to have in their pocket if that party is elected. Definitely. Well, I got one last question for you before we end off here. Would you rather have the blue carbon tax or red carbon tax? Personally, I'd like the purple one because there's nothing in it at all. I'd rather have the black hole carbon tax that doesn't exist. <laughs> oh, awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today, Andrew. I really enjoyed this interview, and I look forward to our next chat. Yeah, anytime. Thanks so much for having me on, and great work with this show. Thanks.
that was Andrew Lawson, the host of The Andrew Lawson Show, and a contributor to True North Media, which I encourage you to please check out their page. If you like this interview, please make sure to like and subscribe, and to tune in on the next episode of Conservative Roundup.